Thank you. You may be seated. Amen. Thank you, Brother Matt. It's wonderful to see you all here this morning, and so very good to see you and encouraging to be together and share this time of worship and fellowship and study together with you. Thank you for being here. And we're very thankful to have our visitors that we have. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. You're special to us, and you're always welcome here. And if there's ever a time we can serve you, please don't hesitate to let us know what we can do for you. We're so very thankful to have those who worship with us online, who uh, are at home for various reasons. <clears throat> we pray for you, we care about you, and we want you to know we're always here for you, and thank you for being with us. You're still with us, just in a different location, and we, we're so glad that you are with us. <clears throat> we're continuing our study in the book of Philippians, and we're going to finish up uh, chapter 2 today, and we'll be in verses two through, 12 through 18. But I came across a story that I thought helped uh, highlight and helped uh, illustrate what we want to look at today. There was a motorist one night who was run down by a train at a train crossing. It was way back a long time ago before there were the, the, the gate that goes down and all the bells and whistles. And they would have... Uh, people out there with lanterns at night, a signal man out there. Motors was run down by the train at the train crossing. The old signal man in charge of that crossing area, he had to appear in court because a man had died. And after a severe cross-examination, he was unshaken, the old signal man. He said he had waved his lantern frantically but it didn't matter. To no avail, the guy wouldn't stop and was hit by the train. The following day, the superintendent of the line called him into his office and said, You did wonderfully well yesterday, Fred. I was afraid at first that you might waver. No, sir, replied Fred. But I was afraid that that old lawyer was going to ask me whether or not my lantern was lit. That's kind of the most important part of the whole situation, isn't it? That's, that's kind of the difference maker, right? Was his lantern lit? The lawyer forgot to ask about that. His, his Fred's lantern was out, but just because it was out doesn't mean it did any good, no matter how much he was shaking and yelling and jumping up and down, because it was dark and the guy driving couldn't see. Had his lantern been lit, it would have made all the difference in the world, wouldn't it? Paul has something to say to us about our lanterns being lit in this passage we're looking at today in verses 12 through 18. So let's look at what Paul writes here in Philippians chapter 2. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more... In my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, 
so that in the day of Christ I might be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Verse 17, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. So the first thing that sticks out, one of the first things that sticks out to us in this passage is that Paul tells them, now he says, my beloved, and we know he says that because they are very, very close to one another, the, the church in Philippi and Paul. They love each other very dearly, very close personal relationship between the two. So again, he says, my beloved. You see that in the writing of this letter. He communicates his feelings for them often. But then he says, work out your own salvation. And that kind of strikes us a little strange, maybe, because it sounds like he might be saying, work hard and earn your salvation. And so we might think, is that, is that what the Bible teaches? Is that what we're to understand from that passage? Well, first of all, let's understand, Paul is, as he does in his writing, he is picking back up from chapter 1, verse 27. So turn back over there. And he's been giving some practical advice or, or counsel, application on Christian living as Paul often does. And then he'll, I don't want to say detour, but he'll go into talking about something uh, maybe a little more, not philosophical, but, but less practical application. And that's what he did at the beginning of chapter, uh, earlier in chapter 2, where he talked about what Jesus did for us and, and the whole gospel message there that, that he just finished talking about. So now he's kind of picking back up where he left off in 127 and going back into this practical application. 127 uh, he writes, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Then he goes on and spends time talking about what Jesus did uh, for our salvation, and it returns here in verse 12 by saying, therefore. And so, therefore, uh, because of what I reminded you about uh, and what Jesus did for you, and so because of who he is and what he did, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And so what does Paul mean? That's our question. What does Paul mean when he says, work out your own salvation? Uh, so the word work out there, we have to understand what it means. It means to overcome, to accomplish, to produce, to bring about, to bring to completion. So that still sounds like I have a role to play. I have a responsibility here. I have something I'm supposed to be doing here to bring about my salvation. Now we're still perhaps unsure if he means I earn my salvation by being super, super busy, busy at church. And if on that involvement form, I check most everything and I just get really, really busy, so busy I'm, I'm fried and I'm, no, not, you know, I'm, I'm not pleasant to be around at church because I'm running around so frantic, but I'm busy for God, points for me, right? Is that what Paul is saying? That's not what Paul is saying. So let's, 
let's, let's dig deeper to see what he's telling us. What he's telling us is that is, is, is keep on obeying the word. Remember he said, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, keep on obeying. Keep on obeying the word of God. Don't let anything take you down. Don't let anything take you out in your faith. Don't give up on your faith. Bring it all to completion. See it through to the end. Your faith, that is. That's what he's telling them. And so he says it in this way of saying it, work out your own salvation. He said, bring this to complete. See it through. Don't, don't get down the road and give up on your faith. And let Satan take you out and let the trials of life and the temptations of life and the challenges of life take you out. See it through. And there is... Uh, by design, by uh, inspiration, something in there to say, look, you got a responsibility here. And we'll, we'll talk about that. Do you remember what he said in chapter 1 and verse 6? Look back at Philippians 1, 6. Where Paul writes, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. Does that sound familiar? At the day of Jesus Christ, judgment day when Jesus returns. Paul uses some different Greek words here, but notice that in, the, in, in this verse, the emphasis is on God doing the work in us. In chapter 2, verse 12, it sounds like we're supposed to be doing the work. So we can be left with, well, which is it? Is, is this an error in Scripture? Is, is this a fault in Scripture? The truth is, Paul isn't really concerned with what can seem to be a conflict. Because for Paul, it's not a conflict. There's not a contradiction there to say God is at work in us and he will bring us to completion and you're supposed to be at work uh, in your faith and bringing your salvation to completion. He's not bothered by what may seem to be some kind of contradiction. Because he says it's all the same thing. It's all about the work of God, what God is doing, our response to that. God is at work, and we're to be at work, and it's all about the salvation of lost souls. Does that make sense? So he's not trying to parse it out and, and, and figure out which one. He says it's just all in there together. All the ingredients are in there. God worked to bring about our salvation through Christ... And, and, and then God is at work in his people to do his will. And at the same time, we're supposed to be at work doing his will. Do you see that? Does that make sense? So that's what Paul is communicating. Look at verse number 13. It is God who works in you both to will and to work for what? His good pleasure. See, he didn't ask our opinion when... He, when he ins, inspired the writers to write scripture and lay out the teachings and how he wanted us to live and worship and things. He didn't ask, well, what do you think? Would this be popular if I said... He, he, he inspired his word because he's God. He gets to do that. And our response is to believe and follow. And he says his will, his work is all for his good pleasure. We're supposed to be serving for his pleasure, for his glory, for his satisfaction. So our aim, as Jesus said, as he said, I always aim to please God, to please my Father. That's got to be our aim too. I want to do what pleases God. I may not like something I read here. Did you know that? 
You may, you may say, I would have done it differently. But God is the one who wrote it. And he gets to say the way he wants it. And our job is to decide, are we going to be faithfully following him? Or are we going to do his will and his work for his glory, for his pleasure? Or are we going to serve someone else or something else? So Paul reminds us, it's God that works in us. And so that goes back to the point of, Paul doesn't see a contradiction here. God is at work. He's done work in us through Christ. He continues to work through us, His church, His people to do His will. And at the same time, we're supposed to be at work doing His will, fulfilling the great commission and the great commandment. So the word that uh, Paul uses twice in Philippians 2.13 for work is the same word he uses for work in 1.6. And that word is the word where we get our words, energize or energy. The words that Paul uses there in those passages is where we get our words, energy and energize. In other words, God energizes his people to do his work. And as a a child of God, I'm supposed to be energized to do his work. See, Paul wrote to will and to do uh, work for his good pleasure. What does that mean? I'm supposed to want to. You see that? I'm supposed to have a want to attitude. I want to because I get to serve God and do his will. And that ought to energize me. Not, so-and-so asked me to do something. <laughs> you know how we can get, because we're human and, we, and our feelings feel and we get tired and we get, you know how we, yeah, but, but, but we have to have the energy that God gives us to do his will. Now, I'm not saying that to imply you ought to check off everything on the involvement form and be super busy, because guess what? Then you ain't going to have no energy, are you? <laughs> you got to find what you can be energized about and get involved and do those things. So God energizes his people to do his work. Look at Titus chapter 2.14. Titus 2.14. Uh, Paul wrote this too, that Jesus gave himself to us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, that's his church, who are what? Zealous for good works. Do you see that? God wants his people zealous, energized, on fire, enthusiastic about doing his work. And that's not only internally, but also externally outside of the the church and the times we are together uh, as a body. Now look at what Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 2. Let's look over there. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. Paul writes, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's a gift of God. So your works didn't earn you any salvation. Let's get that clear, Paul's saying. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. Nothing you could, you could do everything on that involvement form every day of the week for the rest of your life, and you'll never, ever earn one point towards your salvation. He said, let's just get that clear. This ain't anything you've done or can do or, or could do. It's not a result, he says in verse 9, of works so that no one would boast, because then you could boast that look how good I am. 
I've done all this stuff in the church. I've been here for generations and done all this. You see how good I am? See how much I've done for God? And God said, it's not about that. I did the work. I'm the one who saved you. Look at verse 10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. That's that new creation. Created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works. You were saved to serve which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So your, your works don't save you, but he saves you to do the good works, energizes you to do the works that he would have you to do. We're his workmanship. That's what Paul meant in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, that if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. You're that new workmanship. God recreated you to do his will uh, in his world. This is, we are his workmanship. Now, I like the way James put it in James chapter 2. You turn over to James chapter 2 and look at verse number 14. James writes, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can such a faith save him? I like the way he raises the questions to our mind. And then he answers, If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to him, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving him the things needed for the body. What good was that? You didn't do any good. You didn't do anybody any good. Verse 17, so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Now, why is it dead? Because your faith, your works is a demonstration of your actual conviction your, uh, your, of your faith. It demonstrates the fact that you truly believe this stuff. Does that make sense? And because of that, you believe in Jesus, that he is who he says he is and that he saved you. And your heart is eternally pricked by that. And that energizes you to serve him and do his will. That's why there are works. They are the fruit of faith. So that's why if there's no works, then your faith is dead. And then verse 18, he says, but someone will say, well, you have faith. I have works. Hey, it's all, uh, you know, it's all, it washes out. Well, James says, show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by what? By my works. You see that? For verse 26, for as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. So I want to go back and make a quick point to, in verse 12 where Paul said, work out your own salvation. What's something else you see in that phrase that I didn't hit on? Work out your what? Own. You see that word? Work out your own salvation. What is Paul saying? One day, in other passages, you can, you can study, study further, other passages talk about One day, you're, you will stand before God. And at a certain point, you know, you're going to stand before God, to, and, and it, it's you and Him. And the book of life is opened. What was your faith like? You are responsible for your own salvation. Now, we can talk about, I'm not talking about little children and all that. We talk about that or... I'm talking about, you know what I mean. You're responsible ultimately for your own salvation. So you got to take that seriously. Like, you know, one day I got to answer for my life, for my faith, for how I live my life. 
I'm responsible. So at a certain point, it doesn't matter how faithful mama was. It doesn't matter what granddaddy did in the church and he was preacher and song leader, elder and taught Bible class and he was so faithful and knew the Bible. It doesn't matter because you're responsible for your own salvation. A youth minister can't get you to heaven. He can teach you how to get there, but you can't get in on his faith. He can want you in all day long, but you got to get in based on your faith in Christ. Does that make sense? So one day you'll be responsible. Your family, your church, youth minister, Bible class, all of that have a God-given, God-appointed role in your life. But none of them answer, none of them are ultimately responsible for your faith. You are. So if no one else was faithful, you got to decide what you're going to do. It was Joshua who famous, famously said, choose you this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So that helps us understand when Paul says, work out your own, faith, your own salvation with what? Fear and trembling. When you think about, I'm going to stand before God one day. And that fear and trembling also helps me to realize because of what, remember Paul said, therefore, because of what Jesus did for me, because I believe who God is and what his, who his son is and what he did for me, I have deep reverence and respect for Jesus because I believe he is who he says he is. And, and you know, in the Bible, there's times when people would see an angel. and What did they do? They didn't go over and say, hey, what's up, bro? Give him a high five. No. They fell on their, sometimes it says, fell on their face, trembling in fear. See, see, we don't think like that, do we? And that was an angel. And they'll say, don't be afraid. Okay, so we have to have a proper reverence and awe and respect for God. For, and, and, and it helps us have a reverence for and take sin seriously and our salvation seriously and, and to grasp the depth to which God went to to save us through his son and to have a greater and greater appreciation for that. Okay, verses 14 through 16, and we'll wrap up. Paul writes, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, a dark world, among whom you shine as lights in the world. See the contrast, twisted and depraved generation, and you're supposed to shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life. Now that holding fast, sometimes you see it translated holding out. Sometimes you see it translated holding on. It really means kind of both together. You're, you're holding on to it, and you're holding it out at the same time. Okay, do, do you see that picture there and, and do you see the importance of why we would do both? Uh, children, do you remember that Jesus said, let your what shine? Light, let your light shine. See, the children can help us remember the importance of Scripture, remember the, 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 you know, the, the, the things that Jesus said. Well, Jesus wrote in Matthew 5, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. See, we're supposed to shine as lights in this dark world. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine 
before others so that they may see your good works. Well, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? That sounds like what we were reading in Philippians 2. That they may see your good works. Now, why is it... What's the, what's the purpose of the good works? The purpose, Jesus tells us right here, that they will give glory to your Father who is in heaven. See that good pleasure to please Him, to serve Him, to point others to Him, that they will give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Do you see the connection there? You see how Jesus lays that out for us? So Christians are supposed to be lights in this dark world. We're supposed to be that signal man in the old times, except what? What's the difference? We're supposed to have our lanterns lit, aren't we? See, you can shake it all day long and put stuff on Facebook all day long and post all the memes you want to put and all the pretty You can do all that, but how we actually live and hold out that lamp is what matters. I'm not saying you can't do that. I'm just saying, are you holding out your lantern and is it lit, by the way? Because see the difference it makes when the lantern is lit. When the lantern is lit, they see the good works. And it's not for them. It's not that I can boast, as Paul wrote. It's so that they can see the good works that I'm doing for God and my passion and commitment for Christ. And that will point them to God. And they can also, hopefully, praise God and call Him Father as well. Does that make sense? That's what I want to encourage us today. God calls us calls His people to be at work for Him, to shine brightly for Him, for His glory, as we hold on to. That means we're going to be sound in His Word. We're going to stay with what He teaches, what He wrote, not what maybe somebody else thinks is better. We're going to hold on to His Word, and then we're also going to hold it out for others. we got to be willing to share His Word. And the good works help us have that opportunity. If we can help you this morning, encourage you, pray for you. Maybe you have questions. Maybe you want to study. We're always available to you. Maybe you're ready to be a Christian and put on Christ in baptism. Whatever your need is, we want you to know we're always here for you. If you need to, you're welcome to come forward now as we together stand.